Welcome to the latest episode of the special series New VC, hosted by Freddie, an analyst at Isoma Capital and Linda, an associate at Karma Ventures. We are delighted to welcome Mari Lukanen, principal at Icebreaker Capital, a Finland headquartered early stage fund. With a background of building and scaling companies, she has now amassed a massive following of 20,000 people on LinkedIn. In this episode, she was kind enough to share some tips and tricks for VCs looking to develop their personal brands and some insights as her background as an operator. Mari, pleasure to have you here on the new VC show. We're super happy to have you. So first and foremost, who are you? What do you do? And what is your superpower? Thank you. Uh, good to be here. It's a hard question because I need to decide always, do I tell the long or short story? Short, I'm principal at Icebreaker, early stage, pre-seed uh, VC firm investing in Nordics and Baltics. In my background, I'm a former uh, startup operator. I have also founded a couple of companies myself, so entrepreneur background also. But originally, I started in affiliate marketing, so built my own websites and monetized them since late 90s. So I've been in, in internet business quite a long time. And so what's your superpower? I think my superpower is what I, or, or years ago, I didn't think that it's a superpower. I thought that it's a flaw. So basically I'm from a very small town in Finland where it was, it was really a minority to be a girl interested in computers. So, so no one really believed me. So I considered that as a flaw, but nowadays I have really experienced that being so stubborn that I just want to do it. I didn't stop it. Even everyone said that, that it's not something I'm supposed to do. I just continued, continued doing it. And also another thing there is that back then, uh, fortunately that has been chasing a lot for now, if you compare it to nowadays, but no one really took me seriously until I made amazing numbers. So I'm very good at making amazing numbers. I don't do, I, I, I don't present or talk about anything if I don't have the numbers. That has been definitely also my superpower of being the numbers person. The skill set that you have now, the skill set that is, that makes you very valuable to both founders and, and what kind of makes your money now is one that basically you were pushed into in a way, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's, uh, it's uh, interesting and I, I really like to highlight this in, in this kind of context where we hopefully have some uh, younger people listening to that because these days, especially I, I meet a lot of young people who have a lot of pressure of how can I ever like decide what I want to do when I have all the opportunities available. Also, they feel stressed that I haven't decided yet. I'm already this and this like years old and everything. I suffered this quite a long time also that I didn't have like a plan because when I started, there wasn't any, any terminology for, for instance, like search engine optimization. There wasn't startups in Finland. I had, I had never heard about venture capital or considered myself as someone who can end up being an investor and, and so on. When I now retrospectively think about all the steps and things have led me into this role, all of them are valuable. All of them are actually super valuable right now because I can really 
relate in certain things that the early founders are going through and, and so on, because I've experienced a lot of mistakes myself as, as someone who, who started without like um, anything available on YouTube or ChatGPT nowadays. Nowadays, it's actually super easy like compared to that. But, but yeah, yeah, I have been able to find a lot of benefits from the things that I back then like considered that this don't make any sense. I'm just wasting my time and so on. Probably even you feel like that nowadays that it's, it's hard to decide. You can turn everything, all your learnings as something valuable. Maybe you can open up your history a little bit more, especially your journey maybe to VC, because I think that that, that would kind of create a really good kind of understanding of how your skill set has developed over time and, and how I have you end up in the role where you're now. Basically, what, what I like to do most is building something a little bit and then not take care of that <laughs> like at the later stage. Uh, so, so that's why I really like to be at Pre-Seed VC because I can, I can spend hopefully the rest of my life just doing that and, and kickstarting things or code starting things like uh, Andrew Chen would say. I like to build build things, and and that's what I really loved. Uh, by uh, when when I was a affiliate marketer, I I built things, then I sold some of them. Uh, some of them uh, stayed as passive income, and and so on. But how to turn that then to VC? Like I I didn't have that plan ever. From affiliate marketing, I did that for ten years, and then the market started to mature a little bit in terms of digital marketing in general. So there, there started to be terms such as Facebook advertising, Google advertising, search engine optimization, and so on. So I started selling those services as a consultant. During that period of time, I did a short um, stint in, in corporate consulting and created a lot of reports and analysis that no one probably read ever. Got a lot of money, but but... It was complete opposite of the affiliate marketing that I'm I'm used to do. So so basically, in, in affiliate, you you are you you have the responsibility of everything. So you need to just get it working or or kill it. Basically, that was complete opposite to corporate consulting. So I didn't do that quite a long time. But my friend was working in startups, and again, I don't have any university background, so I'm completely out from that world, but I, I ended up doing some uh, front-end development uh, in, in one local startup. It wasn't even marketing, which is quite funny. I, I did a little bit of like uh, C++, JavaScript stuff, but I also learned that, okay, this like, I have no idea what this startup thing even is, but in this kind of companies, you need to do things because if, if you don't, you will run out of money, which is common factor to, to affiliate, obviously. Then, then I started, like, uh, I, I continued going to different startups over and over again and um, was in multiple of them before I was hired to a home cleaning startup called Fresca as a head of growth. That was the first cross-functional role I had in startups because previously I usually was in development or marketing. And basically, especially from marketing perspective, traditionally, if you are good in marketing, which I am pretty good at it, you will still end up having issues 
if the product doesn't work because you will have, well, massive churn and you can't do anything about it because you are just marketing. So I felt that a little bit frustrating that, okay, I'm in this environment where I have the background of being able to do a lot of other things than marketing, but I'm still like siloed in this certain place even we have the pressure of getting things done. But in Fresco, like, I had no idea what is head of growth, like what is growth function. It didn't exist in Finland before Fresco. But the introduction to that role was quite interesting, like do whatever grows this company and you can do anything. Then I went there and I did everything. So I did marketing, so client acquisition, but you can't really grow the company if you don't have cleaners also. So I started doing cleaner recruiting and basically I, I managed to get the position in the company where I was able to oversee and review the whole business all the time over and over again and find a bottleneck wherever that is right now. And, and usually it wasn't only marketing, it was somewhere else and then fix it somehow and then move to another and another and, um, Fresca grew from under million to 13 million, uh, annual recurring revenue in the two years. I was there alone, that growth position and whole function and also, also marketing function. I did have one, one colleague in marketing, but growth was basically me. Then obviously, like as I said, my sweet spot is the early stage, starting things, but not taking care of when they're too big. So I wanted to find a place. Okay. Now this is over 10 million annual regular revenue company. We need to restructure it in different way. I want to find a place where I can replicate the same learning. And only thing that led me to join VC that I never thought that I'm, I'm going to end up at was, or I actually two things. First of all, it was that at Fresca, the mandate to hire me and give me the whole mandate to do whatever growth this company came from our early stage uh, investors. So I figure out that, okay, whatever these VCs or investors are, they probably had some kind of idea of like some kind of mandate of like putting this kind of like new thoughts in the founders' heads. And um, another uh, thing was that I participated already before joining Fresca to Icebreaker's first pre-founder project. So even I had experience from VCs only from the other side of the table. So basically fundraising as a startup, I had an idea of Icebreaker being somehow different, at least in a way that I could be relevant there without any university finance like traditional background that you usually have, like as an, as an dot, like from outside of the industry. So I joined uh, Icebreaker as my first title was head of marketing, which turned to head of growth at some point, but basically I did portfolio development for a couple of years, uh, tried to implement different kinds of things in, in our portfolio companies. And then last year I was asked that, Hey, Mari, have you ever thought joining the investment team and I was like, okay, why not? That's probably something new at least to learn for me. And that was also quite funny because I didn't actively think about that. Even I had already worked for two years in a VC firm, but then I started in investment team last year and it's quite simple and complex at the same time. It wasn't that, that <laughs> hard after all. But at the same time, it's super hard, but 
Yeah. I can really see how your prior experience at Alfresca to then joining Icebreaker in terms of platform development and, and, and sort of growth stage. But how has that marketing experience helped you in, in working at Icebreaker? When I, when I started working in portfolio development at the icebreaker, it took quite some time for me to get rid of the mindset of helping the companies hands on. That was definitely something that I was really stuck with quite a long time because I, I've used to like do everything myself, but at the same time in, in this kind of position, it can be a flaw because it's more scalable if you find a way to coach them to do it themselves and understand that they really need to take the responsibility of their own company and its growth, like instead of you hands-on helping them. Because I, I did a lot of hands-on things at the very beginning, like built like for pipeline visibility, dashboards and everything. And no one did take like care of them, like after I did it and used them in the development of the of things. So So that took quite some time. And then if I think about the kind of my, my experience as, uh, as the current role, actually the marketing experience, like it's not that relevant at all, especially the like super deep domain expertise. It's not that relevant. It's more like, like how to identify what is relevant and priority for them right now and then helping them to see it is more relevant in in the current position because if they go too deep in for instance marketing they are in most cases just wasting time because the most important thing at early stage is not basically building anything for instance marketing campaigns it's speaking to your potential customers and doing that in very non-scalable way which is then often very counterintuitive in founders head and if, if I was the founder, like back then years ago, and someone said to me, like, just like, like invest time on, on interviews and don't do anything scalable. Like I, I would have thought that they are insane. Just put a lot of money there and you will collect data. But you like at this stage, the problem is that you don't even know what to communicate and to whom and on which channel. So where they even are. And that, that, that is mainly what I just repeat over and over again to these founders. And related to that, the most useful skill I, I got already when I was 18, like, like back then in, in the small town, like no one really believed that there is any, any jobs in internet. So, so at school and, and so are like, it's, it, it's, it's a paradox now when you think about it. I was, at the same time, making money with my websites. And at the same time, I was talking to like unemployment offices, like consultants, like how, what I will become as an adult. I was trying to like really, really find something that I'm interested in that is not internet. And the only thing I was like for some time very interested in was psychology. I studied, this is my old touchpoint to university. I, I, studied open uh, in Jyväskylä Open University psychology courses. And currently one of the most valuable skills that I have is psycho psychotherapy models that I learned back then that I implement now to discussions with founders when I try to get them to figure out 
certain things themselves without me saying it to them because they don't believe usually what I say, but I need to communicate it or make them to realize that themselves by using self-reflection or or using some other founder as a kind of like mirror that this person has done it, you can do it as well, and that kind of models. So it's completely like non-marketing. But you're obviously very, very good at getting people to listen to you or, or take an interest in what you have to say because you have 19,000 followers, if I'm not mistaken, on, on LinkedIn. Yeah. How did how do you even get to that position? Like, and, and how long does it take? And what does it actually take to get to that level of following on, on LinkedIn? That, that's also quite interesting because a lot of people think about that it's uh, you gain that if you actually have something to say. To be clear, I, I do also have something to say because I have <laughs> so, so much experience in different things. And I've been able to, at the KPI level, to get, get something done as well. But I can already see the podcast title. Mary, I have something to say. I, I have something to say. Yeah. But the main thing what works in social media is that you just push out something every single day. Consistency. Consistency doesn't have anything to do with a lot of things that I have done. Usually, like the main things that I could talk about are too deep domain expert things, but those are not the things what people want to read in online. They want to read inspirational things and, and basically lightweight, very short things that for instance, ChatGPT is very good in producing. Or before using ChatGPT, I was using ghostwriters. So, so most of the content I push out is, or hasn't been in, in many years written by me. It's something that I have gathered during years and I schedule it every, every three months. And it's going out all the time. And, and that's quite funny observation in like related to building a personal brand that no one from my following, as at least I know, haven't ever contacted, for instance, Fresco and asked, did I even work there ever? And did I do anything useful there? Well, I did work there and I did some useful, so go ahead and do it. But <laughs> but it's really just like pushing out stuff all the time and being very consistent that something is going out because that creates some, some, some kind of like imagine that, okay, I need something related to growth hacking and, and that thought or, or that term connects to my brand because I'm just pushing out stuff all the time about those things. And that ultimately leads to a conversion of sending me a message if someone needs something related to early stage startups, uh, growth hacking, startup growth, and, and these teams. And, and usually they don't even understand at conscious level why did they reach me out. They just have a feeling that I know a lot of things about that. But I, I have a thought that, that probably I could do that even without knowing anything about these things that I write about or, or post about because it's so, so like strong, just the kind of the image that I have been able to create 
by being just very consistent. So basically, my answer to the question would be that, yes, I, I put a lot of effort on at some point when I started to activate myself on LinkedIn on writing like super long, very deep domain expertise stuff like no one cares. Like my most awareness gained post, which I think still is not not maybe the most seen or or at least in in top three or something Finnish post it got almost 700,000 views in Finnish language which is quite niche still it's pretty much like every every single Finnish that Finnish person using LinkedIn at least back then saw the post and it was about whining about my bank connection like it sucked and and I thought like I'm pretty good in in creative writing so it was quite funny post as well but it was basically whining about bank that but dear dear Danske bank i've been your client for some time we need to now it's our goodbye because blah blah something something i have never got such a visibility with anything like domain expert actual content it's memes and, and inspirational shorts easy to consume stuff that I just push out all the time and that works. So if you want to do something like that, just like I have been doing that for five years. So obviously I like, I would have stopped that if it doesn't work, but uh, <laughs> just build, build a massive content bank and repost it. Same things all the time, every single day. And little by little, you end up having a follower base as well. So at its core, it's consistency content for your audience yeah making it short and humorous yeah and a bit of luck that the entirety of finland will 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 listen to you Uh, and a little bit of luck (laughs) that's true that's true but the luck component that's the that's the tricky part in in us building a startup or being a vc because like why fresca succeeded so massively was luck basically we, we were at the right place, right time, with the right team. How to replicate that as a VC that I find these cases where we have the right people doing the right thing at exactly the right time. That's actually very hard. If you were to start again five years ago, what what advice would you be giving yourself to build this this audience online and, and to build that following? Yeah, right now I I would start by just being very consistent and and networking with people all the time because now it it feeds itself like I don't really have to do anything like extra effort there like I I get new followers every day I I just posted like a month ago about like okay I will hit eighteen thousand followers soon do you want to be the one that's there like the eighteen thousand now and and that's probably what uh, <laughs> what you commented as well, I, I'm going to be at 90,000 very soon. And I haven't even like realized that, okay, now I'm at 18,800 or something like that. So it's, uh, that's going to happen quite, quite soon. And obviously as a VC, the main thing that obviously you and I, majority, probably Fetty as well, thinks about all the time is, is pipeline. How do yeah. startups find me? How to get deal flow, etc. So what have you kind of noticed about how this followership helps with you know, your deal flow 
and then how that how much does it translate to, into quantity versus quality and overall what have you noticed good question uh, that's probably something that we need to do a follow-up at some point because i haven't done so many deals that we have like a lot of data to to actually analyze that uh, a little bit more in depth because we operate in very very early stage so usually when we meet the team and do the investment they didn't even have a website yet or they don't even have a linkedin page yet we are we are very like heavy heavy tech vc we have a lot of machine stuff impl- implemented there to, to find these like founders where, when they don't even know yet that they will <laughs> become founders obviously something that would help there quite a lot is the visibility of your personal brand that you would attract the people already when they are at pre-founder stage so basically domain experts thinking about that okay i'm so frustrated to meet this problem all the time at my at my work that I'm kind of like playing with the idea of founding a startup. Usually they don't necessarily know that the founding a startup is the right way to solve it, but they want to solve it. And we would like to uh, create more more awareness that, that you can actually approach us before you have the company entity. You are just like thinking about it, like fixing a problem that exists, but you don't you don't really know how and where to start from. So, so attracting that definitely the inbound would be, would be amazing. But also I have realized that my, my, like mainly my visibility is in within the networks that usually know what startup is and know what VC is. So, so I need to spread that a little bit to more traditional places such as like traditional PR being a speaker in more like non-startup related events and as such. So I'm not now like pushing myself a little bit to that direction to try out. Do we get a little bit more relevant inbound from there? But I do get quite a lot of inbound, but but usually the machine has been first. So <laughs> it has seen it before I, I see it. But it's an interesting challenge that I'm I'm looking into right now. On that point, how, you know, when you started five years ago, that was when you were at Alfresco and then you were in you know, the sort of the growth portfolio support role within Icebreaker. Now yeah. you're on, on the investment team. Have you had to think about how your brand has had to evolve with those different roles and how you need to tailor your content in order to provide value to your day to day? Yes, I have been actually switching my brand's focus quite many times. Originally, I wrote only in Finnish. So that was one switch, switch my main language to English. Okay, I, I've been doing that actually quite a little bit longer because I, I started the LinkedIn posting already before joining Fresk. And then it was very like Finnish marketing related contact that I focused on. And, and definitely like two, two domain experts stuff because I only had like SEO specialists and, and that kind of people in my audience. But, but I also see it from the audience that it has been switching more and more to founder profiles. And, and now I, now I have unlocked a new segment of investors. So, so I've gained investors as a, as a follower base and, and so on. I have made multiple conscious changes on, on my personal brand. And the latest one was was a year ago when I switched from a portfolio development to investment side that I 
added uh, pool of content related to investing in my pool of content that I recycle. And I also wrote or used ghostwriters and AI to write a couple of blog pieces related to investment. But there's definitely like certain sections that how, how you can like build my personal brand journey that now it was this time and now switch for whatever reason to this. This is also also topic that I'm quite often asked that, okay, do you then like, if you switch the focus completely, does your engagement drop? And I have never seen that happening for, I don't know, whatever reason. But I also have very consistently like stayed at like common sense, quite top level, like a, like a type of content, inspirational more than domain expert and, and so on, because of the fact that, that it gains, like I, I get more engagement and more engagement in relevant audiences if it's not too complex, complex to digest. So, so it's also something that is commonly like easy to consume, even I have switched there kind of like a little bit like explain it, explain VC things like easily and that kind of things. Like uh, maybe my mom wouldn't understand it, but but a lot of my friends who are not working in tech or VC can understand it. From your side, dissecting a successful kind of personal brand, what do you think that are the, the key components, like especially for investors? What do you think will make a good personal brand for an investor? And, and, and do you have any examples in your head? Who do you look, you look for, for inspiration or mm. for, you know, as an example of how it's done? I find actually very hard to kind of like identify myself as a branding guru. But then at the same time, I've been extremely successful in specifically that even it's kind of like, again, a little bit paradox because when I started as, as younger, like 20 years ago, like focusing more and more on data things, like mainly because I wasn't taken seriously as a young, young female in, in tech back then, but, but it also led into conclusion that, okay, this is actually nice because I don't have to talk about op opinions anymore, which branding usually is. So I only, only had like, I just show the numbers and, and that's it. End of discussion. Then it's, it's like that. So I've been very into like, like, I don't want to do anything related to branding. It's boring. It's complex. It's opinions. It's definitely something I, I don't want to even touch. And then at Fresca, we were able to build a brand that didn't like only it convinced on all the things that first time in your life, you should let an immigrant into your home to do cleaning when you are not there which was very hard to swallow for a lot of things, but we, we were able to switch that mindset with, well, branding basically. But at the same time, it was extremely profitable. Like it had profitable customer acquisition cost all the time. So the ROI of our like performance driven branding, like activities was actually ROI positive all the time. When I've been working with brands nowadays, uh, ended up to be some kind of branding guru, even I didn't expect that to happen. In most of the cases, like the core issue is that the founders or the owners of the company don't want to take any risks with the brand or, or their communications in, in general. 
which then leads to a situation that no one cares about it because it didn't it, it doesn't bring any emotion up with anyone. So so basically a good brand like it should create some kind of emotional like a memory like like people will forget it completely immediately if it doesn't do that. It should excite, it should even even negative emotions are are good because if you 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 can't be in a position where you only create positive emotions. I'm I'm sure that I also create negative emotions. And as a personal brand, that's something that people usually forget that that, that happens also, or then subconsciously or consciously they are afraid of that that they, they never start their whole personal branding thing or branding thing thing for their company's brand. They are afraid of the ne- negativity, but you just need to accept that that it will happen. People talk about my income level at some point in Jodel in Finland, and and obviously it felt it didn't feel good to like read that kind of discussion. But you just need to consciously accept that if you want to do that thing, branding, you need to accept that part as well. And as a company, it's I think it's quite funny that that a lot of founders are afraid of that because. That's still like the company entity. It's it's not you, but a lot of founders, especially at early stage, kind of like the company entity is same with themselves. So they they feel hurt when someone is saying that your brand the color or something is off, and they they're oh, and we need to change it immediately. Like like they should be proud that okay, like you you were able to change, like create an opinion at least instead of being just blah. So so if if I need to name like one thing like related to brand, like that should be it. Like like accept that you need and should create some kind of emotion by your brand and you should be shouldn't be afraid of it. You should be afraid if you don't create any emotion because no one cares. But even even the companies that we had that have amazing numbers they could get a little bit of higher valuations in funding rounds if they added the brand component there by taking a little bit risks in in their narrative building, in their positioning. But they usually like to be like a little bit something for everyone when, especially at early stage, you should choose one niche and focus completely on that and be like be non-relevant to everyone else that bought that niche. And, and when you have chosen that niche, go even deeper because usually it's not enough niche before you go super deep. So moving on a little bit to to the differences in in VC, you've 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 had various different roles already at Icebreaker. How are they different? Obviously, my experience is only from Icebreaker, so I I have no idea what it is in other VCs, but I have been fundraising multiple times and I've been working with VCs as a startup. And I have never worked or met VC where everyone doing decisions, making investments have a startup or, or operational experience. And we have that. And you can really see that if I if I compare my experiences like when I work with only with VCs that don't have any experience in startups 
I really didn't feel that they understand what we are going through. It was sometimes like very hard to have those conversations. Now as a VC, I can get it and, and I can coach these fathers to talk the VC language, which is what one part that I do. I would have been like better in my role if I had also that knowledge that I was able to talk to them. But to compare to those experiences in startups, we are, we, we work with the, with the founders a lot more. We are in touch a lot more. We talk about completely different topics that I have ever talked with any VC. In my opinion, we are more understandable in in, in certain things, which some like non, non startup experienced VCs or, or investors in general, because I have had angel, angel groups as well. Like, for instance, that firing a first, first time firing a person, it's just not just like you just kick off some, some person out from your company, kind of like having the discussion about the emotional support there as well. And, and listening to founder and their experience and offering them solutions like, okay, how to get over that and how to accept that that is not, it will not be the last time. And, and that kind of things like adding, adding that kind of like, usually it's adding that emotional support level on this like technical discussion, which in, in my experience missed completely when, when I was in, in startups. So that definitely, and so far also, I haven't met a VC around here that makes the investment so early <laughs> that we do, that, that we can do the decision before you even have the company entity yet. So, so we, we also operate in, in super early space, but also like adds a little bit of spice on the, on the work itself, because you, you don't really have any numbers that you can, you can base the decision at it's it's really just like the founders and what kind of dd can you have with the founders like well you sit down and you talk to people and then you get get some kind of idea that does this person have it and then still you can you can have some surprises this question about operators versus you know, people from financial backgrounds, diversity overall in backgrounds and, and, and focus areas and skills in VC, I think is something that, you know, we're only in the beginning, I think, in discussing and really realizing what are the benefits, yeah. because I think that the venture industry is so young overall, in, in Europe at least, that I think that these are only the first kind of conversations we're having on this and people with your backgrounds, I think, are the ones that are showing how to do it differently and what are the different ways of getting into VC and using skills in VC. So it's been super interesting yeah. to listen to, to your journey and, 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 you know, how it relates to the founders and overall VC ecosystem. But before, before we kind of finish, what we have is we do these quick kind of few personal insights in the end. And, and, and maybe the first one would be, We've talked a lot about the skills that, you know, from marketing perspective that you've used in, in, in VC, but maybe what skills have been surprising that now, especially on the investment side that you're kind of using, again, maybe the, the psychological part was already something that you mentioned as well, yeah. but what is the key? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that is definitely like something that I've been very surprised at. Uh, I never thought that it's, it will become like a useful skill ever. 
about what apparently I did like. And another one is is actually the writing skills. So so as as mentioned, I'm I'm quite good in in creative writing, and I'm good at that because well, you get good at stuff that you do a lot, but that I haven't been doing as as much like in in professional context that I do as as a hobby because i have been playing these like text based role role play games over 20 years so so basically are writing uh, with your friends so so both of you have characters that, that you just imagine what they do together and write stuff basically before the vc market went down a little bit with the with the like global market in general we started going very very deep into narrative building I like to adapt the situation. Okay, narratives are not a thing, so I will build narratives. And how to build narratives, suddenly I'm very, very good at that because I'm able to use that creative writing skills and, and imagination from that, like basically just describing worlds and, and situations and, and completely like imaginary characters, like just like that. And, and that has been like completely just a hobby uh, for me right before this, like uh, as working VC, like suddenly that's super valuable as well. And uh, that's something that I, I really encourage people to think about. Like, like I see a lot of people that have like very wide selection of different skills, but they are just not able to implement the parts of that to their current role or, or current or, or dream role so basically i i would encourage to like think about a little bit like like what kind of things you are good at or what kind of things are easy and and what you like to do because usually there is a way to implement something from there to your like professional role that you you didn't really think about because uh traditionally the roles are very like fixed that that as a vc you just invest but in reality you really talk to founders, support them technically and emotionally, usually just talk because that's kind of the, I, I think that that will be like, like a difficult shift for a lot of operate, oper, ex-operators from startups that, or, or founders even that think about like hoping to VC, how to shift that, like, okay, I will take care of everything and do everything to, I don't do anything. I just support and talk and coach because that was very hardship for me and, and also also in a way like counterintuitive because you don't get the instant feedback immediately that something happens like immediately when you have the chat but then you realize that okay a month ago something happened and it was more scalable impact so you need to also have a lot of patience of of waiting for other other people to do the mistakes themselves and learn and and be there supporting them not being like, okay, what what did I say? Now you did the thing like completely opposite way. But but you think about like what could I do differently next time to convince this type of person in this kind of situation? What can I learn here to be a better mentor and coach and VC? Because you need to give people space to build and grow their companies themselves. You can do it because that's not again sustainable at all. And also not your role. Exactly. Exactly. It's fascinating how 
you know, you come from quite a technical background and yet your interest in psychology has just led you to both evoke emotion in others by the content that you create and also relate to founders and other people in your network on an emotional level. It's interesting how you bring yeah. that sort of fundamental level of interest just into your day-to-day. -day. I, I think like all, all of us, like everyone has some like fundamental interests, but often they haven't just found a way to, well, monetize them <laughs> if you are like completely brutal. But like in Finland, as, at least like in, in that small town, we have very this like there's workers and then there's bosses like mindset. In, in that kind of like mental environment, it's very hard to accept that I can really enjoy working because it should be something you suffer and you, you wait for, for that to stop when you're like 65 years old or 70 and then you can lift then you can, you're, you're old, but then you can lift. I have never really felt that way. Like I just do things that I generally like to do, but I've been also like able to find a place and position and, and shape my role in a way that I can use the skills and, and interests that I'm just generally interested in. And I never thought that it's a, it's a busy firm where I can find this kind of position, but it's this early stage VC where I can, I can always stick in this early stage place where I don't need to like, like a restructure anything ever, but just like kickstart things and working with early stage founders when there's only like handful of people. So it's very manageable and you can get really know to all of them. And then also like this very, very technical, interesting, usually online scalable context of like getting very into, into interesting new, new technological things that I also am interested in, like uh, digging into what AI can do. And, and then try to like help people to shape that in that form of something like globally scalable, healthy business that is communicated in a way that other VCs can understand what it is about. Cool. And then, and then final question, you know, in, in, in a couple of sentences, what would you, if you had to give one piece of advice to young professionals starting out in VC, what would it be? Definitely build something yourself first, but that. Something doesn't have to be a lot, like it can be, nowadays it can be even um, non-code uh, thing, like downloadable PDF that costs a little bit and you wrote that with ChatGPT. But that's something you need to learn what to do, how to do it and how to get someone to pay for it for the first time. And, and that already has a lot of very valuable skills that then you can coach founders to understand yeah i think empathy here is the key word and and for empathy yeah. you need understanding and for understanding i think you need to experience at least to a certain extent similar things in in this in this environment but super super interesting to listen to your insights Mari. really appreciate you you kind of taking your time and and then kind of demystifying maybe this angle of that personal branding just happens to people and it's something that happens yeah. you know naturally where in, in reality, it might happen to some people that way, but in reality, there's a lot of hard work and inconsistency that's behind it. So it's been absolutely wonderful listening to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, thank you for the invite. This was super fun. Thank you for listening to this special episode on the European VC. If you love our show, 
Join our community by subscribing at eu.vc.